Our previous model of education is hardwired to learning outcomes, but COVID has forced us to put the well-being of our students and families first and realizing that their stability is critical for student learning. So the organizational excellence framework and improvement organizational approach has been required for us during this time of change. Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's Accelerate Your Performance podcast. I'm your host, Janet Pilcher. Thanks for having a desire to be your best at work and help your organization achieve success. This podcast is all about actions we can take to improve workplace culture and achieve results. And they're all aligned to our nine principles for organizational excellence. Joining us on our show today is Dr. Ed Manansalo, County Superintendent of Schools, El Dorado County Office of Education and the president of the California County Superintendents Educational Services Association. He has served El Dorado County for over seven years, first as the deputy superintendent in 2013. Ed has spent more than 20 years working in the public school system. His tenure has been marked by strong collaboration with education and community leaders to increase achievement, equity, and successfully implement the California statewide system of support. In partnership with students, families, and the community, the education organization that Ed works with and leads provides leadership with a wide variety of programs and services to support students as citizens of the future. I'm so pleased to have Ed on our show today, and I think you're going to get a lot out of this interview. Can't wait to have the conversation with Ed. So, Ed, thanks for being here again, and why don't you just start, if you would, by telling us about the mission of your county office and about the communities you serve. Absolutely. So, thank you again for allowing me to participate. El Dorado County Office of Education's mission is to provide quality and responsive services to students, families, and school districts, and of course, the communities in El Dorado County while promoting educational excellence for all learners. And in our efforts, we are always paying particular attention to the most vulnerable students. Uh, In respect to our community, if you were here in Northern California in El Dorado County today, you would see, um, first of all, one of the most beautiful counties in California. You'd see snow-capped mountains. The colors of our leaves right now are as vibrant as can be. And of course, you would just be breathing the fresh air. With that said, El Dorado County is one of 58 counties in California. And while there are roughly 1,000 school districts in California, depending on the geographical location of the school district, each district receives support from one of the 58 county offices of education. So in our county, El Dorado, we have 15 school districts. While there are a few suburban districts, we have a good number of rural communities and school districts. In respect to the vulnerable youth and families, we have been seeing three emerging areas in these last uh, couple years in particular in terms of challenges around mental health issues, substance abuse issues, and, and even domestic violence, unfortunately. Um, there's less than 30% of our families are eligible for free and reduced lunch, less than 10% of our students are English learners, and less than 10% are foster youth and homeless. But again, El Dorado County is probably one of the most diverse and beautiful counties uh, in California. 
And it is a beautiful area, Ed. I think one of our, it just hit me a few minutes ago, one of our, now that we can work anywhere, you know, this past year for the most part, one of our team members ha, uh, has an, a place close to your area. So I want to maybe connect you two offline a little bit. So, you know, I had a great, uh, great um, opportunity to talk with you when we were at Destination High Performance last spring. Just enjoyed that conversation so much and I'm so glad to, to be connected with you and your team Pat Greco talks very highly of you and your focus on continuous improvement and know that it's big, you know, it's a big part right now of the California K through 12 system. So can you talk a little bit about how you define it, what that looks like to you, I mean, and how you embrace it as a leader, the continuous improvement component? Absolutely. So, you know, in the past two years, we've been learning about best practices necessary to realize the outcomes of becoming an improvement organization. And we're attempting to weave improvement science into our organizational strategic planning. So we not only understand the concept of improvement science, but just practice the mindset and tools as an organization. So in realizing our mission, we want to frame how these practices will work together. So last spring, a team was assembled, and that's a, a group of leaders in our county office. And just for clarity, we have over 650 employees, but this was a, a team of roughly 12 people. And we assembled to consider our strategic plan. And from that discussion, we identified five bold steps for implementation. And one was becoming an improvement organization. Two, increasing professional development opportunities for our team members and those we serve. Three, establish routines for decision-making and collaboration between and among departments. And four, establish protocols for goal-setting and accountability. And then the fifth is just intentionally identifying and communicating organizational values and behaviors. So this idea of becoming an improvement organization, we're really taking an all-in approach. And we're in the process of defining and practicing what it means to be an excellent organization in probably one of the most challenging times in education. Yeah, gosh, that's the strategic planning approach and, and your framework of priorities. As I was listening, Ed, I mean, just so on target with moving your organization forward. I haven't really heard it in that way before. So just congratulations to the way you all have framed that because it's very clear, very succinct. It's not overcomplicated and people have, you know, great expectations of what you mean by that. So, you know, just to just appreciate you sharing that with others. I know you have obviously with that framework, a high commitment, but what led you and your team to the decision to be engaged in the continuous improvement work within education? Uh, in 2013, in California, there was a significant educational reform and policy shift, and it was called the local control funding formula. But it was more than just a funding model shift. At a, there was a significant shift in funding, our accountability approach in education, and our improvement approach. So from a funding perspective, there was greater local control greater flexibility in how we utilize dollars and increased resources for the most vulnerable. And when I say the most vulnerable in particular, it was defined as low-income students, foster youth, and homeless students. But with this shift of the funding model, also there was a shift in the accountability model. And it was a shift from a punitive 
accountability model to a capacity building and improvement model. And the role of county offices played a significant um, new partnership with districts. And so we were less about monitoring and harsh accountability, but shifting to pivoting and shifting and pivoting to becoming partners with districts and assisting them with systems improvement and capacity building. But that was a major change for us. So it forced the central question for 50, the 58 county offices of education to answer the question, how do we become an improvement organization and how do we assist systems in becoming improvement organizations? So to embrace this shift, our county office felt it was important to build capacity in improvement science and organizational excellence. In Ed, I know you're highly committed to it and, you know, a couple of colleagues as as well that we're connected to. I mean, do you really feel like that that legislation, that po- those policies are really pushing California, you know, forward in this way? I mean, do you feel like a, alignment of the state at this point? Just curious there. I, I do. I mean, I think we have made great gains. The mindset shift from a punitive accountability system to one of capacity building and improvement is significant. And so when districts were eligible under this new reform effort to receive what we call differentiated assistance from county offices, districts felt reluctant to engage county offices because of the concern that it was under a punitive accountability approach. But once um, we created and fostered an environment of safety and partnership and um, humility for that matter, and how we're supporting districts, we're beginning to see that shift. But it is taking time. And I do think ultimately it will be beneficial for the outcomes of um, our students and educators in really looking at learning as a process in in a safe space. Yeah, I do too. And I think you could, you know, you're, the model there could really serve as a model for others. You know, I, I mean, as you know, I live in Florida. So, you know, would love to see, love to see the improvement work be more embedded in this state. And I think California can kind of lead the way there, Ed. You know, so why did you start start now? I mean, I know there's kind of this reform effort going on, but, you know, why why start right now in the way that you did with your framework? All right, so pre-COVID, so I'm thinking of March yeah. 2020 and before, you know, we knew we wanted to focus on a strategic plan and an improvement approach as an organization. But you know, given the heightened focus on what I would describe as the important and urgent, it did cause us to ask the question: is this the right time in 2020 to be focusing on organizational excellence and improvement science? But we felt there was no better time, knowing that we would be flying at 40,000 feet and pull down to the ground level on a daily and weekly basis. We felt it was important for us to um, really look at improvement principles. So COVID's provided us an opportunity to learn and form practice and better reach our most vulnerable students and families. So before families could engage in distance learning, for example, we needed to address some of the most basic needs, food services, internet accessibility, and family engagement. So meeting the needs of our families during COVID required collaboration at all levels with superintendents, administration, and educators. So our previous model of education is hardwired to learning outcomes, but COVID has forced us to put the well-being of our students and families first and realizing that their stability is critical for student learning. So the organizational 
excellence framework and improvement organizational approach has been required for us during this time of change. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, some some people, I think some leaders would shy away from it saying it's too much, it's too heavy, not now, <laughs> you know, got other things to do. But I, I I love what you just said, you know, rather than rather than shy away from it, let's let's get up, be all in, you know, into the process and begin to to move it forward. And, you know, I think that's what makes what I've learned over the years, Ed, is the individuals who we've had the pleasure to work with are, are really great leaders who really want to look for the opportunities rather than shy back and, you know, move back from the struggle. So, you know, with that, I'd, I'd love to summarize today and end, to end with you closing us with what advice do you have for superintendents and your, your leader colleagues as we close 2020? And we still got the half year ahead of us, but you look forward to the next year and stay committed to the improvement work in the organizations. You know, what's your advice to others? I think um, in thinking about where we're at with COVID, I, I imagine that we are like at the half marathon point, which is sometimes difficult to grasp. Uh, but as a leader during this time, I have learned that communication and empathy are foremost in my work and I think in our work as educational leaders. So building trust, value, and voice across all levels of the organization and the communities that we work with are critical right now. Ensuring physical and social-emotional safety for all requires the highest level of engagement that I've ever seen. So to achieve excellence, reassurance, and I'd even go as far as to say hope, rest on communication and empathy right now. Yeah. And do you feel like, you know, you've probably heard me say just in, you know, either podcast or conferences, what's right in education as a leader, we've had to go through the same thing, right? We've had to change our organization or adapt and be agile to change and working with people and working with our team. You know, I've, I mean, it, it's personally changed me this year. Yeah. I mean, I'm a, I'm a different, I'm a different leader and I'm also a different person. Do you see that in yourself? Do you see that in your, your leaders as well? I do. I think uh, we are more attentive. I think we are more aware of what our colleagues are enduring. I think educators are working incredibly hard in a way that we haven't seen before, but are also challenged by the types of outcomes that they are seeing because of the, the barriers that we're experiencing and, the, and how steep these learning curves are. So there's the attentiveness I see occurring for myself and others, but then we're being challenged in our thinking, how we approach instruction and learning, the manner in which we engage communities and, and how do we uh, remain optimistic and hopeful during a time that has been quite challenging. Yeah. And I'm sure I think you agree, we'll be better on the other side of this. It, we will learn a lot and good leaders like you will take advantage of the opportunities that it presents and help people work through the struggles. Just appreciate connecting with you. I, I have great memories of us having our initial connection in Sonoma. Ed, back in, I think it was March-ish, February, March, and, you know, just um, admired you for the work that you do and so glad to, to be a partner with you in this process. Thank you for being with us today. Likewise. Thank you. As you can see, Ed has so much expertise in education and very specifically with the California Reform 
efforts that really are focusing on the improvement work. You know, last year I had an opportunity to meet Ed at our conference in Sonoma, one of our DHPs, Destination High Performance Conferences. And at the reception that evening, I had an opportunity to talk with Ed and, and hear some of the great work that he's doing, but also just the knowledge that he has about our profession and the work that he's doing. Ed is going to be one of our most prolific leaders and is certainly a great leader now leading the organization that he works for and the people that he works with each and every day. It's just such a pleasure to have Ed on on our show. As I talked about, we're gearing up for more destination high performance conferences and our roundtables as we're moving into the year. So if you want to connect to some of our virtual events, just connect to um, studereducation.com slash events and come join us at our roundtables and our destination high performance conference on the West Coast where you'll get an opportunity to hear from Ed. So as always, thank you for tuning in to Accelerate Your Performance. Please share the podcast and rate us on iTunes if you would. If you're looking for more resources, related to today's episode, head over to studereducation.com slash podcast. I look forward to connecting with you next time as we continue to focus on the nine principles for organizational excellence so that we can be our best at work. Have a great week.